are you doing? Nothing. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Just sitting here being quietly ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a normal Saturday night. I want you to question everything, especially after this episode. Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. This movie sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. Damn it, I hate you. No, all right, all right. I'm going to walk it back. I'm going to walk it back. This movie doesn't suck. I just, me and this movie. You know when you've got two friends who you both really like, and then you introduce them, and they really don't get along? (laughs) Yeah. That's really what's going on here. I'm really good friends with this movie, and and you two, like, are just not jiving. Yeah, we're just really, like, the vibe is just really off between (laughs) us. (laughs) We're just going to be giving each other Uh, the side eye all night. Yeah, this hurts me just as much as... uh... Introducing two friends who don't like each other. <laughs> no, you know what though? This is gonna be fun because you and I do disagree on movies, but like we usually mildly disagree, right? Yeah. Where it's like you think a movie's like a ten, whereas I think it's a six, right? Yeah. I think this is probably gonna be the most we've ever really disagreed on something. I think so as well, because we're doing Aguare, The Wrath of God from yep. 1972. Herner Wurzog's masterpiece. Herner Wurzog's masterpiece? Yeah. Okay. Herner Herzog's Werner Herzog's goddamn it's masterpiece. The, yeah. Uh which you have no respect for and and it's crushing my soul. Sorry, buddy. Um, I'm breaking your heart. If you haven't seen this movie yet, go back and check out the spoiler-free discussion in the primer episode where we break this movie down. It's a really interesting film. In my opinion, it absolutely deserves your time. In Michael's opinion, maybe not quite the same. But we talk about it in a lot more detail, so go check it out there. What I'll say before we get started is I want to plug that we've got the draft episode coming up in a few episodes from now. Really excited about it. I picked, um, or I got drafted the franchise films, uh, so I'm picking three movies of that. You've got six seasons in a movie. Six seasons in a movie. I don't know if you thought about how you're going to structure that in the draft. I I will say, I think you're going to like what I show up with. I'm quite excited about it. I think I made a good call. And then Jason's got actor or actress to stick three movies together so okay we'll see what we've all got but let's dive into aguare the detailed spoiler full discussion let's start in front of the camera and work our way back what i will say getting into this is i think that the effects and filming of this film are really kind of like interspersed with what's going on on screen as it is off screen so i think yeah. we're going to be crossing between those two you know what pretty quickly you know what you know what you know what yep. i was thinking earlier that i would almost like to see a documentary on the making of this movie but upon reflection i don't think that's necessary because this movie is almost its own making of documentary <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Know, yes. <laughs> I love it i love the idea behind this because essentially what happened was is they filmed with no budget on location in the peruvian amazon down the amazon river and werner herzog if the guy hadn't been a filmmaker, he would have been a cult leader because he just convinced all these people to risk their <laughs> lives for his movie. And and basically, like, they just kind of reacted to what was happening around them and filmed it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of incredible. It's like guerrilla filmmaking almost. Essentially, yeah. So, so, I mean, in and of itself, even though I'm not, the, I didn't have the greatest viewing experience, I really have to admire just the sheer mad laddiness of this whole endeavor the audacity of this film it's almost like the spanish conquistadors are searching for this fabled lost city of gold and 
So it's a doomed expedition, all these men tra- chasing a daydream. And then here comes Werner Herzog making all these innocent people do the same fucking thing for his movie. Yeah. Except the only difference is his worked in presumably no one died in the process. <laughs> no. Presumably. But some people were injured. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Klaus Kinski, the guy who plays Agari, who, again, as I mentioned in our last episode, wasn't fucking acting. I guess he fired a gun at some extras one day and shot the tip of some guy's finger off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it it was crazy. Like we have to talk about the pandemonium of this movie alongside this movie because just as chaotic as it was filming uh, is what it was like being on set. Like they were essentially filming what they were doing at any given time. I think there's a quote where Werner Herzog basically admitted that like they would literally come up what they were going to do next 10 minutes before they actually did it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and what I'll admit is that, like, it shows in the dialogue. Yeah. The dialogue, especially in the first act, is very clunky. Yeah. And that's what I would say is probably the weaker aspect of this film, but it's not I, something that detracted from my enjoyment. I will say the dialogue gets better as the movie goes on, yep. but especially there's some moments in the first 30 minutes where I was just like, what the hell am I listening to? Did right. nobody like? Was there no writer like in like? Was there no screenwriter in spitting distance of this screenplay? Right. But it gets. There are some great lines later in the movie. Yeah. It's just at the beginning. It's very kind of like. It's stilted. It's hammy. Yeah. It's awkward. Yeah. It's it's somewhat awkward. Like I said to Jess, I kind of wished I watched it in German. But as the film went on, I connected with it much more. It kind of I don't know. It it just clicked for me. It just my brain just started processing it at the level that it was at, and it was it was all flowing. All, it's a classic every- sink or swim situation. Yeah, like you swam and I sank. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, th- and again, there are some good lines later on, like when uh, Guzman is being crowned emperor and he's objecting to his throne, and right. Aguirre says like, "What's a throne but some planks and some velvet?" <laughs> yeah, like- and that's actually a quote taken directly from Napoleon, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. All right. Um, pretty cool yeah 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 there's there's a lot of neat stuff to talk about in this film i want to start because we kind of talked about it in the primer episode i want to start with the opening shot because it is one of the most open beautiful and memorable opening scenes of a movie that we've watched this year i think the sure. opening scene of the conquistadors and the slaves hiking down the mountain this beautiful heavenly music is playing like the greens are greener than you could ever imagine. They're like, so green. Yeah. It, it's just like for if you love nature like this, it feels like you're there in the Amazon forest. And like mm-hmm. they were filming as deep into the Amazon forest as anybody else. Like it was it was pretty wild to hear some of the stories of, of them being there. Yeah. We, sh- I, I t- <laughs> we shouldn't like romanticize problematic behavior in Hollywood, especially not where Kinski is concerned. But like, <laughs> again, just the sheer balls to the wellness of like, I'm surprised no one died filming yeah. this movie. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. There's a scene later in the movie where there's a boat up in a tree. Right. And like, this was pre-CG. They had to somehow get a freaking boat up a tree. Right. <laughs> just for a couple shots. Was it a mirage though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I can only imagine where it hurts like being like, oh, come on, guys. It'll look great. Just get it up there. Yeah. <laughs> Smooth talk in German. Yeah, exactly. You you have to be on board with the the atmospheric tone of the film. Like the music, like for you, you don't always hear, like listen to the music. Like it's not usually a big factor for you. But for me, like that was incredible. Like 
the biggest comparison, the most recent comparison, to this is the film Dune Part One. Like sure. it's a very atmospheric film, and it doesn't necessarily always care as much about the plot in that first. You know, there's there's this YouTuber I like. His name's uh, Patrick H. Willems, mm-hmm. and he did a video recently. Well, I don't know how recent about vibe movies. Yep, movies where like it's not so much about the plot or the character; it's just about the vibe. Right. And I was kind of thinking about that video essay as I was watching this movie. Is yeah. that yeah, I mean, there's Aguare and there's Guzman and there's the other people, but this is, like I said in the last episode, this is more of a vibe than a... Yeah. This is more about the vibes than it is about a coherent narrative. Like, actually, mm-hmm. in his review, Roger Ebert pointed... I'm bringing up Roger Ebert again because I'm a film school scumbag. <laughs> but in his review of this movie, he pointed out that a lot of deaths actually happen off screen. Right. And I thought about that. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like... Yep. You just kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. And and that doesn't always work for everybody. And it doesn't always work for me. But in this case, I, I found it really did. Um, what good, I'll also say. Good for you. <laughs> what I'll also say is that like, it's not about characters developing at all. Like the characters are who the characters are throughout the film. And they don't really change or get better or learn any lessons. They all just die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, uh, Geary is only the protagonist in the sense that He's the most unhinged and the most power mad. Yeah. So he's just driving people to keep going and not turn back. But I mean, the whole thesis of the movie is all about, you know, man versus nature. So it's almost kind of like any kind of action you can take as a human is kind of meaningless before just the oppressive power of nature. Well, and it's also like how how greed and unchecked greed how unchecked greed leads to ruin. Yeah, like, you know, like, they could have turned back at any point in time. They could have said, you know what, like, this... Fuck this. Yeah, like, they were given the option by Pizarro in the opening scenes. He said, you know, like, this this doesn't feel like a fruitful endeavor, but you know <laughs> yeah. what, we'll give it our one last shot, go check things out down the river, and... And if you don't find anything, let's just turn back because this is clearly not going the way we intended it to go. Yeah. And and Aguare is just so he's so fixated. Cla- he's so Klaus Kinski about everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so fixated on it that it doesn't matter who it is or what it is, nothing is going to stand between him and fame and fortune. Right. And that's something So that's- he'd be an influencer in the twenty first century. <laughs> There's just something like it's it's a very like primal idea that just worked for me on so many levels. Primal is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. Primal is a good word for it. And I mean, Klinsky, Klinsky, and I mean, Aguirre himself, like he's the most prominent character in the movie, but even he isn't really a fully fleshed out no. person. We don't really know his motivations. He has a daughter. I think his motivations is I'm crazier than a shithouse rat and I want fame and fortune. (laughs) Uh, There's a great YouTube compilation where it just shows Klaus Kinski like being a dickhead in a bunch of different situations. And Mm -hmm. the title is something like Klaus Kinski waking up and choosing violence for, for for like 19 minutes or whatever. So it's almost like this alternate title for this movie could be Aguirre waking up and choosing violence every single day. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's even got this daughter who he's bringing along on a voyage. And there's a couple moments where we see him being nice to her, but like, really, like, 
you know, you're just watching this guy in terror the whole time. Yeah, and terrorizing everyone around him. Yeah, even a horse at one point. Well, the horse was... Oh, yeah, I guess he did kick the horse and stuff, but he the horse was sent away by Guzman. Yeah, which was dumb. Yeah. So... <laughs> Everyone, but like every, but everybody chose the stupidest option yeah. all throughout the movie. If you like movies where people just get stupider as the movie goes on, but here's the thing: is that like the main people who are cause or who are making all the decisions, everybody else is like, "This is stupid. Why are we doing this?" Like, but they do it. But they do it because they have to listen to the chain of command. It's all about. It all comes back to that, like that structure of civilization, right? Like the slave, the, the probably the most, one of the more articulate characters in the film, Okello, he's very articulate. He like, at one point he says, you know, like I was born a prince and now I'm this like no name slave. And yeah. I'm stuck here with you idiots, basically. He has one of the great, so he, he has one of the great lines of dialogue in the movie where he says like, I was born a prince and like men weren't allowed to look me in the eye. And now here I am in chains with you people. Yeah. So and and it's like it's so interesting because again like there's always like something contemporary going on with these like very primal ideas like that these these human this human nature it's always relevant right and so looking at this and looking at these characters who have absolutely no say in their their lives kind of thing it's always like going to reflect it's back like, to what something did, what did Loki say in the Avengers that it's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation <sighs> This is why you and I have such opinion, different opinions on this film. This you just brought up Marvel and Loki. Why well, just I brought, about it Gore. was a relevant <laughs> quote. <laughs> you dick. We both liked the Avengers. Come on. Anyways, I will say <laughs> even though I wasn't too keen on this movie, there is one scene that I really liked and I'm going to bring it up yep. right now. There's a moment when they spy two indigenous people coming down the river on a canoe and they right. pull them into the boat. And, and and they're like like the indigenous people are come like you know not bearing arms. No, they're just totally minding their own business and and they've come to like reason and talk with these people. Yeah, barter with them. Right, and they start. The indigenous man is wearing like a gold necklace, so they're like, "Oh my god, it's obviously proof that El Dorado is nearby." And they have to translate through the slave, and then the friar, the priest comes in and he holds up the Bible and he's like, "Did you?" He starts going like, oh, did you know that, like, you know, this is the word of God. It right. speaks the truth. And then he hands it to them. And the confused indigenous man holds it up to his ear <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then drops it. And they're like, kill them for their blasphemy. And they both get murdered on yeah, the spot. Because like, he says something like, this book doesn't not speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they both get murdered for their blasphemy. And it is darkly funny just showing how, like, you know, from these indigenous people's perspectives – these conquistadors are completely delusional. They're yeah. completely making no fucking sense. Yeah. So I will say, even though I wasn't crazy about this movie, that scene was, that scene really popped for me. Yeah. And you actually bring up a good point because not only this movie is like darkly funny, it's a whole vibe, you know, there are points that like will absolutely disgust you. Oh, um, yeah. And, and like there are certain scenes where it's, you're just like, you, you almost just can't believe like, how stupid how stupid and well, like there's depraved that, human beings can be 
there's that great scene where the horse is annoying Guzman, the yeah. emperor. So he has him like thrown off the raft. Right. And one of the other characters literally says, we could have survived on that meat for a week. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is he doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just every decision made by the people at the top is the wrong and most short-sighted decision possible. And for Aguare, there's something like deeply sinister about all of the decisions he's making because all of them serve his own purposes. Like, you know, when when he makes Guzman the leader instead of himself, it's very obvious that he's essentially basically trying to make him the scapegoat for everybody's problems, right? Yeah. He's somebody who would rather lead from the shadows, I think. Yeah, he's essentially installed Guzman as like a puppet yeah. government kind of thing. Exactly. Because the guy is like weak-willed and easy to manipulate. Yeah, and and like, you know, we see later in the film, he's completely like gluttonous. Like he, he just consumes while everybody else is starving. Like that's one of my favorite scenes as well is when he's sitting there just mowing down on everything and there are people literally counting like grains, grains of, of rice. Corn. Yeah. yeah, grains of corn. Yeah. And and everybody's kind of staring at him. And, and, and then he gets distracted and they all just start eating from his right. plate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and that's one of the great scenes. And then, you know, he's not long for this world at, at that point in time, which which we can all see. <laughs> and that's another death that happens off screen. Mm-hmm. He just shows up dead. Yeah. Well, what I want to backtrack a little bit, and again, we're going to talk effects and filming along with like the in front of the camera, is I want to talk about the rafts the and rafts. just like when they began the journey down the Amazon River. Like this was the one of the first times where I really said to Jess, I was like, because my mind was blown at this point because I was like, oh my God, A, they are actually on these rickety rafts floating down the Amazon River. And B, everybody is actually on these rafts, like cameramen and all, and mm-hmm. they're just filming this. And then we get to spots where, like, the water is, it's not smooth sailing. Like, they're no. in, like, rapids at points in times, like, on these little, dig like, rafts. There's a scene where, like, one of the boats is, like, it looks like they've hit shallow. It's like a whirlpool kind of thing. Yeah, and you just see it in. from a distance. Mm-hmm. And they Agiri just shrugs and leaves them into their fate. And I was watching it kind of like, I think those people are dead. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, legit, I think those people are dead. And they were dead. never seen from again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's very, in terms of just sheer filmmaking, it's very, I feel like I was building to something, but it's gone now. Well, it, it, it's again, like, that's that auteur style that of documentarian filmmaking that Werner Herzog eventually becomes known for like every time we see a shot it's it's based on the perspective of the the characters that we're following so like you know when when those people are struggling on that raft we never really are on that raft with them and and it feels like they're doomed from the get-go essentially because we're filming them from afar like we're seeing them from a distance yeah I mean everyone's doomed from the get-go yeah right yeah so I mean you know like Aguare even overthrows and then kills and plots against people at all points in the film as well like the conquistador what's his name again uh don pedro he yeah the guy he stabs yeah he goes pretty mutiny pretty quick on him i will say though um there's a scene where like they find don pedro's blood on a rock and it is the most garish red i've ever seen (laughs) it looks like they spilled a bucket of like red paint from spirit halloween on the rock Uh, just you know i i i don't mean to be churlish about it but i was just like okay that's blood i guess (laughs) uh, 
you nitpick this movie to death. Yeah, I like I said, and I'm gonna reiterate it. Like, it's not that this is a bad movie. It just really wasn't a Michael movie. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. wasn't a Michael movie. <laughs> Uh, this was really a Blake movie. And also a chess movie, as it turns out, which we'll talk about later. I'm surprised. Yeah. What I'll say about the, like, the vibe of this movie as well is I think it does a pretty good job of having this weird nervous energy throughout. Like, I just felt weirdly nervous the whole time. I felt time. sweaty during yeah. this whole movie. Like, there's yeah. this kind of very unique type of suspense that is in this film. This movie also has a very jarring pace to it. Yeah. Like, because it's sort of shot like a documentary, there'll be moments where... There's kind of these abrupt cuts where you're just like, what? Like, oh, I guess we're here now, right? <laughs> right. And at first, I found that very jarring and very distancing, and I continued to find it throughout the whole movie. But <laughs> <laughs> most people would probably get used to it. Yeah, I, I definitely grew into this movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that I, I really appreciated. Like, the film style of this movie just blew me away. Like uh, like, like I said, it's this movie is the sum of its parts, and, and all of the parts really connected with me to make a very enjoyable watching experience. Good for you. Again. <laughs> Good for you. Well, let's talk about some of the comedy later on in the film, because, like, like you said, the when your brain clicks and you're like, no, this movie is actually, like, darkly and... It's kind of funny. And yeah. subtly funny. You have to realize that it's funny to understand the humor. In I'm it. trying. I'm trying to think back to when I realized that the movie was a comedy. Mm-hmm. It was probably when Guzman gets crowned emperor. Right. That's when I was probably like, "All right, yeah, okay." Like you know, there was never like a laugh out loud moment for me, but there was a kind of like a subtle kind of. It's almost like a very British sense of humor where you're just sneering at these people, right? Whereas, which funny because Jess and I. Like by the end of this movie, we're laughing out loud. Okay. Um. So, so for example, like some parts that we were laughing at, and and this is all again, it's kind of relating to like, just how ridiculous things get, like how how completely like off the rails this expedition. How things goes. just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, and so it's almost like dreamlike because you know Dr- would these people actually say and do these things? But like you know you're in this feverish fog with all of them. It feels like. And and so you know there's there's a line the first time I think Jess and I laughed out loud was when they decided to raid one of the villages that was along the Amazon River and they run up to shore and the one guy gets shot by an arrow and he looks at it and he's like I thought that would hurt more and then he just dies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Uh, and then and then another part that really got me again this is moving into the latter half of the film when everybody's sick on the ship and Okello the slave is lying beside the cannon and he's like and and so they think that there's a mirage of a ship like on top of yeah. these trees and he says that is no ship that is no forest and then like this arrow just hits him in the leg and it's like so nonchalant like he doesn't even flinch when the arrow pierces his leg <laughs> yeah he looks down he's like this is no arrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and and then that's when aguare like comes out of like nowhere and he's like no that is a real arrow and he like rips the uh, cannon and <laughs> shoots the cannon beside him and Okello is just more irritated that the guy's like blasted this cannon off beside yeah, him more than anything. Yeah, he's disturbing his calm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say there is the one moment that made me really laugh was when um, Don Pedro's wife kind of comes up to Gary and basically says like, mm-hmm. you know, blah, 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 you're a monster or whatever. And then she walks away and he just immediately turns and looks at the horse and he's just like, bah! and he just sort of like, 
<laughs> just antagonizes the horse. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's it's really interesting. Like that, I will say that was one of those moments where I'm like, I can't tell if I should be like laughing or terrorized, right, or both at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you brought up uh, Don Pedro's wife. Inez is a really interesting character in this because she's the really the only character who seems at all points in time more or less sane. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like her she, husband seemed pretty even keel, but then he spent most of the movie in a coma. Yeah. <laughs> and then they hung him. So But yeah, so like, you know, she she sticks up for her husband, she tries to keep him alive. Um that's a one of the really cool scenes of this film and and one of the parts that I did laugh out loud when Guzman denies Aguari the satisfaction of Don Pedro's death. Um, and they'd go to trial and he's like, oh, I, he's like, you know, you've been convicted, but I will spare I'll you. give you clemency because yes. it's like some Spanish anniversary of something. Right. Yeah. And like, I laughed out loud at that scene because I was like, got him kind of thing. But, you know, at the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, Aguari is not going to like that. But like, she's just, you know, she's so even killed. And then it's really like, you know shakespearean tragedy that she just wanders into the forest later on the film like once she's finally had enough of these people and that's a really poignant actually moment of the film for me and probably one of the most poignant moments of the film is she just wanders into the forest to die she's like beatrice in hamlet yeah you know what just jumping back for a second i think the other moment that kind of made me laugh out loud was the fucking flute player yes (laughs) they're just like bring in the flute player and he's just it's yeah, like he's this... got like this like weird instrument where it's like twelve flutes kind of taped together, and he's like playing it. It's really cool. It's really catchy, actually. Sure, yeah, <laughs> but it's just this old man with this flute, and it's just he's just jamming out this yeah. whole time. Yeah, so. I had a blast with him. Okay, I will say that it's funny how I kind of came here today ready to like, you know, like I said, I was ready to have a cage match with you, mm-hmm. but I do. It's not, again, it's not that I think this movie's bad or that I don't think it's well made. It just, again, it really wasn't for me. Yeah. So. And I'm glad that you can admit that. Like, yeah. Like, it's this movie, for me anyway, it's almost more interesting to talk about than it is to actually experience. Right. I didn't have a good time <clears throat> digesting it, as you might say, but I can talk about it afterwards. Be like, well, okay. I, and you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to throw my cards on the table. I found this movie... My own personal experience was I found this movie pretty boring. Yeah, and and so what I'll say about that is that it almost feels like this film doesn't have like a conventional three act structure or like a yeah that or like even a satisfying ending. No, I loved the ending. Okay, um, what's the monkeys? It doesn't have like a central conflict to it. Like the it doesn't. Uh, okay, well it does, but like I think this... I don't think the conflict's gonna land for everybody. I think the conflict is very, it's very much man versus nature. Yeah. And also man versus man. Like these but people. The, but there's no like, it's not like, here's a bad example, like a completely bad example, but I'm just going to put it there. The movie 2012, there's a very central conflict where the nature is being like, we're going to kill all of humanity. Right. And it's like humans trying to survive that where it's like. Woody Harrelson and his pickles. Yeah. It, and it's like, you know. In this movie, it's like these people are just making the dumbest decisions possible. And it's like all nature has to do is wait. 
Yeah. <laughs> All nature has to do is wait. Literally it. These like, be- we're going to get them eventually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not like, you know, it's not like the movie Twister where it's man versus like these crazy. There's no, there's no moment where it's like a drive-in movie theater and like the Twister appears behind Jack Nicholson's head. Or yeah. <laughs> like like uh, stuff like that, you know, like it, you have to be good, interested in a dark and brooding movie that's more interested in the nature of the philosophical questions that it's asking. It's kind of like the thing, but with no yeah. monster. Yeah, again, comparison. there's just like no big pressure point other than the stupidity of each person and them interacting with each other. And there's no like clear cut, like good guy, bad guy. There's just yeah. Agiri, who's the world's craziest man. Yeah. <laughs> leading Played the by wo- the world's craziest man. Right, leading the world's stupidest expedition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a big thing. Like if you're not if you're not into a vibe kind of movie, this movie is going to bounce so hard off of you. I can attest to that. Yeah. Yes. I wanted to talk one other comedic moment that that okay. I thought of while while we took a break there. When he overhears the men planning on escaping and he goes and cuts the guy's head off that's another moment where jess and i burst out laughing because he cuts his head off so quickly that he finishes his sentence while his head is like dislocated from his body yeah that's how i want to die by the way just (laughs) catch me totally by surprise (laughs) you'll be like michael what do you want for uh dinner i'll be like i want pad thai And then I'll wake up in heaven like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I like, again, it's one of those moments that I just laugh out loud funny for me because I, I wasn't expecting the head to continue talking. Yeah. I knew that he was not long for this world, but it it's just like one of those absurdist moments. Like this, this film has a surprisingly, a surprising amount of absurd moments to it that work for me even the ending with all the monkeys was right. kind of like okay like, mm-hmm. i guess this is happening now which let's talk about the ending a little bit like i want to hear your thoughts on the ending because it it doesn't sound like you loved it i didn't hate the ending this is one of those movies where it's like i admired and respected what it like i understood what it was doing and what it was trying to say i just yep. i was kind of checked out yeah right it just wasn't working for me so the ending like i liked gary's final speech actually i pulled it up I'm going to read nice. part of it. Cool. So Agiri is, everybody's dead except him. There's all these monkeys. And he basically says, when we reach the sea, we'll build a bigger boat. And with it, we'll sail north and take Trinidad away from the Spanish crown. From there, we'll go on and take Mexico from Portez. What a great betrayal that will be. We will then take control of all of New Spain and we will stage history as others stage plays. I, the wrath of God, will marry my own daughter and with her found the purest dynasty ever known to man. Together we will rule the whole of the continent. I am the wrath, the wrath of God. Who else is with me? And he's this crazy blonde man in the middle of the jungle. Surrounded Surrounded by, by monkeys. Surrounded by monkeys. Like, I have to admit, even, again, I have to give this movie credit. That's a great way to end this story. Yeah. Just surrounded by monkeys. He's just... He's the only person left. He's the only one in, in the group left alive. And he's just rambling like these insane, like, you know, if he was in a position of power, like if he was, you know, in the Spanish high courts sure. and he was rambling this, like you would be a little bit scared, right? Because it's like this man who's in a very powerful position who is obviously insane. 
But in, in this particular environment, he is absolutely nothing. And all of these crazy ramblings mean absolutely nothing. And that's what's such a great ending. Yeah, this, this whole movie, you're like, this guy can't possibly get more insane. And then he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the character arc is, Aguari is crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's get into some effects and filming discussion. Werner Herzog wrote this script in two and a half days. Yeah. He filmed it using a stolen 35 millimeter camera, which is fantastic. Of course he did. Uh, like Herzog was pretty deranged himself. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So like he, what's really interesting about this is like he actually used that camera on several of his first films. Uh, and he basically just said, you know, like I stole it, but it's not really a crime because I was meant to hold this camera and wield this camera, essentially. Um, Look, I didn't steal it. I was meant to have your car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of incredible. So he he wrote this, and he wrote it while he was touring with like a very unknown soccer team by the sounds of it. And one of the other players on his soccer team actually threw up on his original script. And so he just threw it out the window and restarted. Yeah, um, he's like, I don't even remember how the original script ended. Um, I just, you know, just restarted basically. So just the whole spirit of madness was <laughs> yeah. imbued in this project from the beginning. Well, and even to get Klaus Klinsky on, on board on this, like Klaus was actually an actor at this point, and the reason why he was thought of for the role is because he stayed with Werner Herzog's family in their apartment building earlier uh, in Herzog's life, and he just remembered Klaus. Klinsky being absolutely insane, being an absolute lunatic while living with them. So he was like, he is the perfect person to play this character. So let that be a lesson to you, kids. Um, just be <laughs> a complete dickhead, and maybe someday a famous director, one of your friends will turn out to be a famous director and will <laughs> cast you in something. Yeah, well, and what's really incredible about it, too, is he sent him the script, and then he got a call at, like, 2 a.m., and he's like, it took me about five minutes to realize that the in incoherent screaming through the phone was Klaus Klinsky, and he screamed for an hour, and he was like, I think he likes the script. <laughs> <laughs> I think he likes it. That's pretty cool. So they actually, and, and so this is where the dialogue comes into play here, is... They. This is a German-Mexican collaboration. Sure it is. was all shot in English, but it was dubbed over later. And so you can kind of see like the dubbing. I was watching this movie. Actually, I watched part of this movie with my mom. And like I was watching the lips. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, is this dubbed or not? I can't really tell. It's, it's like it's very close to not like yeah um and especially in the latter half of the film like your brain kind of just switches off kind of you just kind of adapt to it yeah. yeah it's like an old spaghetti western exactly and so that was actually the only language that all of the cast and crew were able to communicate together english? yeah so that's okay. why they filmed it in english and then they actually dubbed it into german in the first iteration of this film and then it made it into english later huh and fun yeah and how quaint Klaus Klinsky, or sorry, why do I keep calling him Klaus Klinsky? Klaus Kinski didn't do his own voice work because he wanted too much money to do it afterwards. So. Well, I think I heard that like a third of this movie's budget just went directly, it directly did, yeah. to him. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood, because he was the only one known at this point in time. Yeah. Hollywood has a long and rich history of uh, rewarding bad people. <laughs> yes. And this was one of them. Yeah. Um. There, like you said previously, he wasn't really acting. He was just absolutely insane. But however, here's the interesting part of his performance. What's that? Werner 
Herzog and Klaus had very different opinions on what the character should be portrayed as. Sure. Klaus thought that the character should be loud and obnoxious and constantly just screaming at people. Um, right. Whereas Herzog wanted like a much more subdued kind of crazy. Like a quiet crazy. Yeah. So a what simmering he would, crazy. Exactly. So what he would do is he would film them and just get them absolutely riled up and like screaming at people. And then what he would do is he he filmed the parts of him just burnt out mad. And that's what we saw in the film. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> Herzog, so they, Herzog knew how to handle his stars. Yeah. Oh, and he knew like him and Klaus worked on so many films together that like he knew how to handle Klaus. Well- um, I guess after Klaus died, he released a documentary called My Best Fiend. Mm-hmm. I actually had seen part of that documentary before going oh, cool. into this movie and about how like they were best friends, but also wanted... There's a some kind of... I don't know if this is true, but there's some story about like Herzog driving over to Kinski's place to murder him. <laughs> there's, an, yeah. there's another story about like... There's another story about Herzog pulling a gun on Kinski on the set of this movie, demanding that he not walk off set. Right. And like, there's different versions of that story about what's true or what's not true. It's like, uh, needless to say, it's uh, a very, it probably wasn't a great relationship. But One of my was- favorite things about all of that is a quick side note is that Klaus said later that he was the only one with the gun. Yeah. On set. I, I heard that <laughs> it's too. So dark. Yeah. I was the one with the gun. So, yeah, I mean. Holy Moses, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So, and and we kind of talked about this previously. We alluded to this that you know it really feels like we're just like watching them there. Like, there's not a lot of separation between what's being lived and what's being filmed, right? And and they they really did kind of base that like those ideas and what they were experiencing, and they really involved that into the filmmaking. Like, for example that journey down the river, like I said, is exactly what they did. The scene where they wake up and all of their stuff is gone because it's rained so hard that the river has risen like 30 feet or something like that. Yeah. That actually happened. Yeah. Like they actually woke up one morning and half of their stuff was just gone because (laughs) they had been rained out and, and the river had risen so much. Like when they're sailing down the river and at one point, you know, like when Guzman talks about all this land that he has and Aguare says to him like, yeah, but point me to the land that'll actually hold your weight right now because, <laughs> right. It's, because it's all been um, all flooded. It's all yeah. flooded. Like that was actually true. Like the, the whole area was completely flooded over. And you got to admire the uh, cojones on these people that instead of running for safety, they just kept filming. <laughs> they mm-hmm. just rolled with it. Like I said, this is like guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. G-O-R-I-L-L-A filmmaking. Yeah, 100%. I hope I spelled that correctly. <laughs> um, I am a professional writer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and you've, you've talked as well about, like, you know, how, how much of a menace Klaus was on set, like him sh- actually shooting off somebody's finger. He also almost killed somebody with his sword. Like, he smashed them over uh, their helmet with the sword, and it was so hard that it would have killed him if you hadn't been wearing it. Absolute. Yeah mad lad and you know what like we shouldn't like i'm not saying that as like we shouldn't romanticize men like kinski like he was a genuinely terrible person yeah one of the most despicable human beings in filmmaking history so yeah i mean i'm not saying that as like you know i'm like oh what a mad lad i'm like no this guy was a complete prick yeah so let it be known we are not fans on vintage cinema rewind yeah i very much agree although i'm definitely gonna be watching more of his movies because sometimes 
the art and the artist you have to separate. I guess so. I mean, it's kind of like, it's almost like Kinski was this rabid dog and Herzog was one of the few people who could leash him long enough to get him to act. Right. Actually behave himself. Yeah. And yeah. even then, like, was he behaving himself? Uh, no, that's that's a <laughs> misnomer. <laughs> yeah, and just, like, there's there's so many other chaotic aspects to the filming of this movie. Like, for example, the monkeys, Werner Herzog only paid half of what he was supposed to to buy all those monkeys. And so the guys who sold him the monkeys were just going to cut and run. And he basically, and this all was taking place in Florida, actually. And so what Herzog did was he actually pretended on the runway to pretend that he was a veterinarian and he said that the monkeys didn't have their vaccination documents so uh they couldn't be uh flown out and so instead he he took the monkeys that way by again stealing them <laughs> but, no, no, but herzog was like i was meant to have these monkeys yeah. and <laughs> yeah. then and then he uh he just released them into the wild after so so those monkeys are probably all dead well i mean yes because it's also 50 years ago right well i mean you can't Take an animal that was raised in captivity. No, they were, I don't think they were raised in captivity. I think they were captured. Uh, oh, okay. Well, then maybe Herzog was being a real G about it. They were going to be sold into captivity, I think, and then he managed to steal them away. And then send them back. Okay, well, yeah. hmm, somebody make a documentary about that. Um, yeah. And, Herzog's uh, monkeys. <laughs> um, In terms of, like, you know, the sickness that everybody had on set, like, people are legitimately very sick. Oh, you yeah. Know, all the fevers and everything. Like, nobody died of malaria, thank God. But It like, is a miracle no one died filming this <laughs> You've movie. said that multiple times now. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and I keep really saying it more that. emphatically each time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for example, like, Werner Herzog himself actually got stung, he says, about 150 times by fire ants uh, while he was chopping down a tree with a machete you know i remember um roger ebert had this tweet like 13 years ago where he said something like chuck norris is gonna die in bed and werner herzog is going to die parachuting into a volcano (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know what i think werner herzog and tom cruise should make a movie together that might be the craziest sure yeah why not right yeah (laughs) because just two men pushing the limit two men who just they're just willing to do anything for their art Yeah. yeah That's what what we need right there. That's the collaboration made in hell. Yeah, I guess so. The infernal duo. What we should talk about next is the the historical accuracy of this film. Right. Um, Or lack thereof. Pretty mixed, actually. Okay. Um, did you did you do much research into this? I just read that it was kind of Herzog kind of played fast and loose with history. So he he played fast and loose, and he has admitted to that. However, a lot of what he put in this film, like the the bigger ideas of this film, actually happened at that point in time. Oh, like, really? Pedro and Lupe de Guare are real people, or were re- real people, huh. um, who were sent in 1560 to search for El Dorado. They had 300 Spaniards and hundreds of slaves with them at that point. And he, it was a, one of those things where like they were never heard from again and Herzog was just kind of like, I'll make a movie about that. Oh, this is... The story of these guys is almost crazier than the film oh, itself. Oh, sh- really? Yeah. Okay. So Aguare actually ended up overthrowing uh, Don Pedro as he did in the film and had him killed. He murdered pretty much everybody that stood in his way over the next i don't know year or so and they reached the atlantic ocean killed all the natives on the way as well because why not when you're a guare i guess not he actually they took over an island that um was controlled by i believe the spaniards 
And then Whoops. Uh, the Spaniards said, hey, all of you soldiers of Aguare, let's make a deal. We'll give you all, wipe your slate clean if you decide to drop what you're doing and come back to Spain. And they were like, yep, sold. And so Aguare was pretty horribly punished and murdered at this point. Wow. Um, but, you know, his daughter died during this trip. Just like in the movie. Yeah, like a, a lot of a lot of this stuff kind of mirrors what happened there. And, and he actually, there were other expeditions previous to this uh, f- on the search for El Dorado that mirror a lot of the aspects of this film as well. This movie does a good job showing just the sheer stupidity and the sheer brutality of like the European colonials yeah. at this point in history. Like it's just bleh. Like it's yeah. just, it's gross and it's awful. Yeah. And it like, like I said, this film can be at times laugh out loud funny, but there, there were times where I was like pretty sickened by what I was watching because I yeah. knew that there was, there was a lot of elements of truth to what was happening. Yeah. That's yeah. I like to think that the real Aguari and Klaus Kinski are in hell right now, strangling <laughs> each other. <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah he was apparently he was even more evil than we saw him portrayed on screen wow, like he was that's... an absolute dirtbag i don't know whether to laugh or to cry that reality was worse than this movie yeah Ugh. oh what i i was gonna say earlier as well because the, uh, there was a time there's a few times where i said that like this is real this like this is happening do you remember when they showed like that mummified Oh, the Anchor corpses? Yeah, yeah. Those I were real corpses. I yeah. guarantee you that. I couldn't find anything online, but those are real. I remember watching that part and just being like, those are dead people. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah, like, like there's some there's some pretty unsettling things in this film as well. Yeah. Um, and that does kind of lend to the like brutal, stark realism of this movie. Yeah. Where you're just like, oh my goodness. There's one other thing I was going to say too on that note, but it's slipped out of my mind again. Um, let's talk score because I thought this score was absolutely incredible. Okay. Uh, did you notice it? No. Oh God. Sorry. This is why you this this is why you didn't connect to this movie. <laughs> you just what? it wasn't a zither. What can I say? Uh, it was so good. Um, it's performed by Popol Vu, uh, which is a German progressive kraut rock band. Uh, and their huh. their name actually comes from a Mayan word. I can't remember what it was exactly, but th- like they're they're very much kind of you know rooted in in these kind of ideas of 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 the South American music kind of thing. Um, so they actually created their own special instrument to make a lot of that. Interesting. Yeah, it was like a specialized organ, basically. Huh. Like I said, it's absolutely incredible. Like I said. I think this is one of the highlights of the movie um, for me in particular because of, you know, like it immediately gripped me like it, like that opening shot. Like I said, it, the music of it, like immediately gripped me. And then it just, it stayed throughout the film. And it, I thought, you know, it's a vibe movie and it, it really fit the vibes of the film. Okay. And it's, it's considered one of like the greatest scores of all time as well. Really? Like, Man, I must be like half deaf in one ear but <laughs> i did not notice the score at all yeah it, uh, like i said completely popped for me really okay. really worked in terms of the legacy like this movie obviously has a massive cult following it's considered one of the greatest films of all time um That's you know right. you've already brought up roger e- ebert it's on his great films list i'm sure it is yep that was last temptation of christ yep <laughs> that's true it's a great point but it, like it's got a really deep rich legacy like it there's so many films and filmmakers who were inspired by this i was actually listening to um bill hader talking about this film earlier i, today. I saw that clip too yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. bill um, hader is a big uh, cinephile and yeah. a pretty good director as it turns out yeah uh, i know you were 
you know, watching the rest of uh, Barry. Yeah. I thought that was kind of relevant to other conversations that we had on past episodes. So I thought that was really cool that he went in depth about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Apocalypse Now is is one of the greatest films objectively of all time. Like that's in my top ten list. What do you what do you think about Apocalypse Now? Very very briefly. Uh, it's probably in my top ten too. Well, I can't really say that because I haven't seen it in like ten years. Mm-hmm. But we should do that on the podcast sometime. Oh, I guarantee we will. Yeah. Maybe maybe next year. Maybe next year. Yeah, I think that's an, a good epic to do at some point, like maybe in the Oscars yeah. lot. I saw something today that kind of made a good summary of this movie, where it's like, this, like, Aguirre is Apocalypse Now if Kurtz was the main character. Yeah, like that, well, Kurtz... I, I said that in the first episode. Oh, did you? Maybe that's where I heard it from. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm listening. Maybe I am deaf in one ear, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know what? I almost wish I liked this movie more than I did, but yeah. it just, like I said, it's when your two friends who you both really like just don't get along for whatever reason. So what's really interesting is this movie has something like a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Sure. And so that means that this clicked for 9 out of 10 critics is how that so like you know in those like old toothpaste commercials where it's like nine out of ten dentists recommend blah 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 i'm the one dentist you're the tenth dentist i'm like "Mm, i don't know man that's exactly where i was going with this (laughs) you are the tenth dentist (laughs) yeah um that this doesn't connect to because let's do in this our personal reviews and the partner factor and i'll start i was completely hooked in this movie like this movie hooked me in with in the first scene jess was interested in this we both watched it together i am genuinely stunned that jess was. yeah she was laughing around she was like this movie is really funny like okay um, Okay. and she didn't she didn't comment that until about halfway through because i think again like she it didn't quite click with her at first that it was like a comedy it's a comedy yeah but we we both got really into it um and like you know she was she was a little distracted at the beginning, but then fully like, you know, committed. Movie, yeah, yeah, fully committed to the film. I, I love the unique style of this film of being just dropped into 1560 in the Amazon and and feeling like I'm there with the conquistadors. Like it's weird because, you know, like there's like a weird attachment almost with them. Um, Like it feels like I'm there, but also like I'm just like a silent spectator as well. Like the camera and, and the way that it's shot doesn't really like doesn't it, really welcome you in. No, and, and it doesn't like it doesn't you know try to make you empathize with the characters at all or anything like that kind of thing. Yeah, and, or you know try to tell their side of the story. It's just like these people are insane. Let's watch. Yeah, and there's no like I said the chart the editing. It's all it's a very jarring pace where like suddenly it's like a bunch of people die off screen. Like there's no like dramatic last stands or dramatic yeah. slow mos or like the music never swells it's just kind of like yeah you're just kind of like wow look at these assholes yeah it feels real like there's there's an element of realness to it that you know you're not going to shake off while watching this film and and you know some of the parts are more surreal than others and unlike there's like i said there's almost like fever dream elements to it and like you know those parts come off as really funny because they are but they they work because they're just like here and there so jarring and and they feel like good timing like comedic timing like they feel like they fit into the insanity of how far things have gone like how much things have descended or come apart yeah exactly and so like this movie just comes together from so many angles for me that like i'm interested to see where this fits in the long term and how this holds up to multiple watches but for me like this is probably one of the best movies that i've watched this year oh okay yeah like i think that this is 
going to be up there at the end of the year for me for movies that we've done on this podcast. Well, Blake, nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now Jumping tear into- me apart with your review. I as I've, I think you already know I've done a pretty good job banding about. I just didn't click with this movie. I didn't have a good time with it. You were the tenth doctor I was, or dentist. I was the tenth doctor, <laughs> the tenth dentist. So, and look, I've done a good job like backpedaling and like explaining my perspective. But like this just wasn't a Michael movie. I can't say I had a good time with it. I watched it alone with no partner. So I just. You know what? Maybe if I'd watched it with a partner and like there was someone else in the room laughing, I might have clicked into it a little more. But mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? So <laughs> You know what? And that says something about the experience of films as well. Like some films really, the atmosphere in which you watch it is really important, right? Well, and also I will say tentatively, I respect that this movie is willing to polarize people. Yeah. This movie is willing to just be like, eh, like some of you are going to really like this. Some of you really aren't. I think, and I think that's like a perfect description of this film. Like, I think you either are going to love it or hate it. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of in between. Yeah. Yeah. So actually this, these two podcast episodes should really give you everything you need to know. Like you're either going to be a Blake on this movie or you're going to be a Michael on this movie. Yeah. You're gonna we, be... We're going to have to watch another movie that you absolutely love and I, I really don't connect with. Because I think that what, what's really interesting about this discourse that you and I have between this movie is that it starts to really paint a picture of what you and I are interested in in films and what really appeals to each of us. I think part of it is I'm more interested in stuff like plot and character. Yeah. I'm not as interested in like the vibes. Yeah. When I was in film school and like a little younger, yeah, I could just get... I could just get behind the vibes, but now I'm more like, all right, what's going on? Like, you know, I'm more interested in, I guess, like the story mechanics than like the cinematic mechanics. Right. Whereas maybe you're more interested in the cinematic mechanics than you are the story mechanics. I think that I'm more open to letting a film's strengths play to their strengths. Like I think that, I think that, I'm more willing to look past the negatives in a film if it's swinging for what it wants to swing for and it succeeds in that element. So you can admire the swing a yeah. little more. Yeah, I can admire like I can admire something being bold and something succeeding in being bold even though not all elements of it particularly hold up because, you know, like I said, the dialogue, yeah, oh yeah, like it's not perfect by any means. It's not Shakespearean, no. no. And and you know, but like on that note, I still enjoyed it for what it was because mm. everything else was just firing on all cylinders. And like, I just was like, yeah, the dialogue's not great, but everything else is awesome. Everything so else is pretty matter? cool. And you know what? Maybe if I'd watched this on different circumstances, on a different night when I was in a different mood with a different person, mm-hmm. like maybe if you and I had watched this together, we would have had a really good time. Yeah. But... Because you know what? That's the other thing too, is Jess and I talked throughout this movie and that's something that i very rarely do but it's something that i do sometimes with documentaries yeah and you know it's funny um i did mention that i watched the first act at home with my mommy and it's it is kind of funny like her and i were both kind of laughing at the movie and making fun of it as it was going on like we were kind of roasting it yeah so and maybe at the time i was like wow this movie's so fucking bad but maybe looking back maybe the movie was kind of the movie was kind of like winking at me this whole time. Right. And I just, maybe I was just too lunk-headed to get that. Yeah. So, you know what? Before our like year end 2023 list, I might have to watch it again. Yeah. Although that said, despite all that, I think I'm being remarkably charitable to a movie I genuinely 
had a bad time I, with. And you know what? I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by how how jovial you're being about all of yeah, this. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I was really worried you were gonna get I'm, on this. I'm pulling a lot of punches right now. Yeah. Just to be like, and again, 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 again. It's like I said. I've probably said this two or three times already. I don't like this movie, but let's examine that sentence. I, Michael Grant Segan, first of my name, do not like this movie. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It yeah. just means it wasn't a Michael Segan movie. Yeah. And and I can completely be fine with that. Like if you if you came in here and you were Ooh, like, this movie sucks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have been much more upset, but you like, would have like body slammed me through this table. Yeah. I, I literally would have flipped this table, I think. <laughs> Onto me, yeah, probably. <laughs> Aguare style. Right, and then none of our listeners would have ever heard from me again. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. But no, I can, I can completely appreciate this. This movie is one of those movies that isn't going to connect with everyone, but I think when it does connect with you and the other person that you're watching with, you guys are going to have an absolute blast. The other, you know what, I'm going to actually bring Bill Hader into this conversation one more time because all of this is kind of reminded me of my experience of Hot Rod, uh, the film Hot Rod. <laughs> You are bringing up the weirdest <laughs> comparisons. The first time I watched Hot Rod, I was told that it's a, that it was a really funny movie that I had to see it, and I watched it by myself, alone, just one random school night as a kid. Okay, and, and didn't have a good time? Ha- didn't have a t- good time. I didn't laugh at one joke. I was like, this is stupid. I watched the movie the next day with my best friend, and him and I talked through the movie, laughed at parts, like made dumb jokes while we were watching it, had an absolute blast, and now I have very fond memories of that movie, and I would say that Hot Rod is objectively a pretty good and maybe comedy. that's the caveat here, is that you watched this with your partner, I watched it alone. Yeah. And, like, in some ways, movies aren't meant to be experienced alone, are they? No. Like, a book you're supposed to read by yourself, unless you have kids, I guess, but, like, I guess a movie, you're generally supposed to watch it with other people. So maybe that's the kicker. What an interesting parallel to this movie as well in that like Aguare is on this island where he himself is uh, his, the man of his own domain, right? And and him being, you know, the crazy person by himself on his own island is the tragedy of this film, right? Oh my god, the real the real Aguare <laughs> The real tragedy of this movie is looking in the mirror and realizing that you are a <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's end the episode. <laughs> all right, see you all next time. Bye-bye.